I'm excited this morning to talk about 2 Peter chapter 1, and uh, it's pretty amazing that Michael would allow me to come up here and talk about anything I want to, uh, which is great. Um, but 2 Peter chapter 1 is, a, is a, uh, the first few verses, the whole chapter, but really inspire me and motivate me, and we'll t- you'll see in the rest of the message, into what I would call a new normal. Um, what is normal for me? Uh, what is normal for you? are probably two different things. And what I'm excited about this passage is that it continually challenges me to what normal is, what normal should be. And I love the Apostle Peter because as we've been studying in the book of Acts, I love his heart for people. I love his heart for uh, the gospel. I love his heart to just follow after God and listen to God and follow what God has to do. He's just a great example. And I especially like Peter because he was the first one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And if he didn't do that, we wouldn't be here right now. I'm sure God would have found another way, but, but here we are. So uh, that's why I'm excited to bring Second Peter uh, chapter 1 to you this morning. Um, and so here we are in the beginning of 2014. Uh, New Year's is a great time because we look back on 2013. We get to see, you know, what were our successes, what were our failures. Hopefully our failures, failures weren't too bad. Um, but we look forward to the coming year, and uh, hopefully with great hope and great anticipation. So I'll ask you, how was your year? How many had a great year? Whoa, <laughs> that's good. You know, some of you who didn't raise your hands, I hope you didn't have a disappointing year, but... A lot of people, if asked how was your year, would probably say, well, it was pretty normal. Uh, hope for better, but it was okay. Not, not bad. Uh, as for me, I, ha- I, did, I had a great year too, so I'm, I'm with, with, with a lot of you. Um, and I've been involved in a lot of activities, and it was kind of a year where I was very busy doing a lot of things, but I was very purposeful this year in what I was doing, and that just bore out a lot of fruit. And so I saw a lot of growth and success and the different areas that I'm involved in. But most of all, I'm excited about what God has been doing in my relationships. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated 30 years of marriage a month ago. Yeah? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And it's really 30 years. It's better than ever. And I have to tell you, that's my opinion. If you ask Patty, she may have a different opinion. Uh, but that's okay. Um, it's my opinion that counts. So there we go. <laughs> but I feel like not only uh, my marriage, but I feel like my family is closer than ever. Uh, even though Peter and Nikki, my son and daughter, uh, live far away in New York City. They're in school there, and they're, they're there most of the year. But somehow the Lord has made it so that we've been able to continue to have a deep relationship together as a family. And I've also uh, made really good relationships here at Genesis through the various ministry opportunities we have, like redemption groups that I'm involved in. We have just a great community and tightness in that ministry group, but also I've gotten to know a lot of you in, in this strange way without like going out to dinner or hanging out or whatever, but just by praying together. We had 40 days of prayer. We've been doing these midweek prayers, and so there's many of you that I've gotten to know and have a relationship with on a kind of a completely different level. Like, I know you even though we don't hang out. I know your heart. I know what you're thinking about, so it's, it's just great. It's been great, and here at Genesis, it's also obvious that there's been just profound changes that have been happening in 2013. And not because we moved to a new building, which is nice, but rather because God has been moving in our midst in new and different ways. And I would probably rephrase that a little bit to say, 
we are letting God move in our midst in new and different ways. And there's a difference between that. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. And it feels to me like we've been sort of in this airplane picking up speed on the runway. And in 2013, the wheels kind of picked up and we took off and we started to fly. And uh, it's very exciting. And to be more specific, we picked up some speed when James and Yunmi Park showed up from Atlanta to come and join us here at Genesis. Yeah, James, thanks for coming, our worship pastor. It's been awesome. So that's really been helping. Uh, it's just been a great addition. But we lost speed when we lost the kids area at 16 Wheeling Ave. The other, you know, that was kind of a bummer. And when the landlord took the building back, Wow, we didn't really have any. We'd been looking for a year. We didn't have a building. But miraculously, the Lord provided this space at 35 Olympia at just the right time. And look, you know, it's, this is an industrial warehouse. It's in the back of a building. But somehow, it has been transformed by just creative people and just by this community into a warm, inviting, and a suitable place to worship God and to worship Him together. But the wheels of this unlikely plane, started to take off in August when something happened here called 40 Days of Prayer, and we gathered every day to pray. And this 40 Days of Prayer totally transformed the core of this community. There's no doubt about that. And at the center of this, every day we poured out our hearts, and as we continue to cry out to him, as we continue to do this, he is pouring out his blessings of grace upon us. And we are experiencing what I believe is the beginning of increasing waves of grace here at Genesis. And I believe this to my very core. And I know the other leaders here at Genesis believe this as well. We're so excited because of this, just what God is doing and that it's increasing in pace. So in light of this grace that is being poured out on this community and in the context of looking back at the past year and anticipating things to come in the new year, I wanted to take a look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and just, again, just tell you how this motivates me and inspires me. This text in 2 Peter chapter 1 motivates me to a greater walk with God and inspires me to keep challenging my own definition of what normal is. It's my hope and prayer that as we go through this text that this will challenge your definition of what normal is as well and that you would gain a new perspective a totally new perspective on how God wants to use you and us together in his kingdom work. So if you know me already, and you know 2 Peter chapter 1, you'd be saying, okay, I can see why Paul would pick that text, because uh, that's pretty much where my heart is. But if you don't know me, I hope that I can communicate my heart for this community and how this text in 2 Peter really just inspires me. And what's going on here is the Apostle Peter is essentially telling the church that we need to completely redefine what we call normal. We need to redefine the way we see God, the way we view God working in and through our lives. And this shouldn't be just a one-time change in how we shift the gears, but it should be a continual, continual growth, a continual striving. So let's take a look at the first part of our text in 2 Peter chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As usual, this is a pretty powerful introduction to Peter's second letter, but you have to really kind of drill into it a little bit because if you're like me, I usually read these introductory paragraphs and just jump right into the meat of the chapter and don't really <laughs> spend so much time thinking about it. So let's just point out in verse 1 that the faith that we received is as precious as the faith that Peter received. The faith that you have is no different than the faith that the Apostle Peter had. He did not have the market cornered on some special kind of faith. We have the same indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us that Peter had, not by our own works. And Peter did not have this faith or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit by his own works either, but by faith. So the spirit that's in you and the faith that you have is the very same that Peter had. Jumping to verse 2, we tend to neglect again uh, because we just want to get on with it, but uh, verse 2 actually sets the tone for what is coming in the rest of the chapter. If we just slow down and think about it, so let's look at verse 2 again. It says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So let's take a look at the first word. What is grace? Grace is unmerited divine favor. God's hand of favor upon you. You don't deserve it, but God looks at you as his special child, his favorite child. That's how he looks at you. You don't deserve that, but that's just how he looks at you. But grace is so much more than that. Grace is mind-blowingly complex, and it's also very beautiful when you begin to understand it. And as I look at my own walk as a Christian, there's two things that I want to mark my life by on, on my understanding of. One is understanding God's holiness, which is really hard to grasp. And the other is his grace. And the reason I like to understand God's holiness is because that's everything about who he is. He's righteous. He's pure. He's good. He's, he's full of majesty. All of these things describe him and his holiness. So that's God. But then there's this grace where he takes that essence of what he is and he pours it out to us who don't deserve it. That is grace. It's hard to, to really get a, a handle on that, but in verse 2 it says that grace and peace will be yours in abundance. In other translations it says grace and peace will be multiplied to you. This isn't just a little taste. Peter's talking about grace and peace just swamping you. And if we would understand that, that should be enough to rock us into a new sense of what normal can be. And unfortunately, we take this grace and this concept that God is with us, and we accept it on our own terms. And that tends to be very limiting and so far from what God would have for us. So as you sit with this, ask yourself these questions. Is my understanding of God's grace too small? Do I really believe that I have God's favor? And am I trying to shove God's grace into a box 
that I call normal. Mm. I love Peter. Peter has an amazing understanding of our pain. Peter understands our struggles, our temptations. And he also understands our natural tendency to default to our own human understanding. Peter understands that why we are grateful and accepting about what Jesus did for us, he understands that we tend to view the world with our natural eyes and ignore the bigger spiritual picture of what's going on around us. Peter understands that. And so in verses 3 and 4, Peter is trying to shake us. He's trying to wake us up to this new reality that we have in Jesus. So I was getting ready to come here this morning, and I found this little card right next to my stuff. I think it came with my phone that I got last week, a Motorola phone. It says Ingress on the top. I think it's a video game that you can put on your phone. I'm not sure. And on the back, it says it has this little icon thing, and it says, the icon launches an experience that will open your eyes to a new reality around you. I'm like, wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I don't think they were talking about Second Peter. Just saying. Let's take a look at what Peter is saying in these verses 3 and 4. This is sort of where we're going. This is where we're landing right here. Verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Powerful stuff. Let's break down verse 3. His divine power. I love the way it starts off with this word, his. His power. Everything is his. And everything comes from him. He is holy. Peter is talking about the divine power that comes from a living God who made the universe. And this power that resides in us comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit teaches us and enables us to live a godly life that otherwise it would be impossible to accomplish. We cannot live godly lives without the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the essence of the gospel, that we have no hope of being justified by our own merit before a mighty and holy God. But he has called us into justification by his righteousness and by the payment for our sins, by the death of his son on the cross. That's the gospel. And we can lead godly lives through the knowledge of God that we gain by studying his word and through prayer, which we do both alone in our, in our, in our homes, and we do it together, studying God's word here together and praying together. But we grow into an intimate relationship with God, and we know God better simply by spending time with him, by praying and not just praying, but when you pray, you're listening. You ever been with someone who just talks to you all the time, right? And they never listen? Imagine if that was what we were like with God. We just talked to him all the time and never listened. So we need to listen to him as well. This is another way to know God. And we gain peace through the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit as comforter. 
One of his names is Comforter. If you look in uh, John chapter 14, it describes that Jesus is describing the Holy Spirit as to come, and he uses the word paraclete in Greek, which is translated several ways. The Holy Spirit is uh, uh, called the Comforter, the Counselor, a Helper, and an Advocate, depending on the translation you look at. Let's take a look at John chapter 14 in verse 16, and it says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And John 14, verse 26, also says this, But the Advocate, another name for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So, again, this is the essence of the gospel, that we could be saved and and be born again of God's Spirit. But in verse 4, Peter goes on to say that the promises that are inherent in the gospel are so much bigger than we can comprehend. When we think of the gospel, we think of redemption for sinners. But Peter is telling us that the gospel is more than salvation from sin and more than a guarantee of a heavenly home when we die. Let's look again at verse 4 and see what Peter's driving at here. Verse 4, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, God has given us these very great and precious promises. What are they? Well, it's a long list, but I'll give you just a few. The one we were just discussing is a great promise, that the Father will send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter and Counselor, to be with us. Another promise is God has always promised to always be with us. One of his names is Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Another promise is that not only is he with us, but he is in us, and we are in him. Pretty hard to, uh, to, to wrap your arms around that, but let's look at John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus says that. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So in this verse here, we're talking about Jesus is expecting that we, if we are with him, that we're going to be fruit bearers. That's pretty awesome. And it's through these promises that the next amazing truth comes about, that you may become partakers of the divine nature. Think about this. This means you. Each one of you may become partakers of the divine nature. So what does it mean to be a partaker? It's an interesting word. I love the choice of this word in the ESV and also the King James Version when they choose the word partaker. And Webster's definition of partaker says this. The first is three, three pieces to Webster's definition, which is phenomenal. The first one is to take part in or experience something along with others. And if you look at the NIV, it uses the word participants, and and that's exactly what we're driving it, to take part in or experience something along with others. But the second part of this is to have a portion, 
to have a portion. And the third part of it is to possess or share a certain nature or attribute. And if you looked at the dictionary, you would think, okay, normally if you're partaking, it's one, pick one. But what I love about this word that Peter is using, it's all of the above. We participate in the divine nature. We have a portion of what God has for us. And we possess and share in the very same nature that God has. Let's look at the word portion for a minute. Anybody else apple pie lovers like myself? I love apple pie. Yeah, Peter's raising his hand up over there. So normally when you give a portion of something to someone, your piece is diminished. So if I have a piece of apple pie and I give you a portion, the piece that I have is less. Good luck with trying to get that portion of the apple pie from me. Probably not going to happen. But God's grace, his power, and his spirit cannot be diminished. They're boundless. So when God gives a portion of this spirit, of his nature to us to share in, it in no way diminishes what God has or who he is. This is a truth. This is an amazing truth. So how about this divine nature? The divine nature refers to the attributes of God's nature that are distinctly his. God is holy, he is powerful, he is all-knowing, he is good. We share in this godly nature as believers. And it's very important, I want to make this important point, that as we talk about sharing in this divine nature with God, that we do not become what I would call little g gods. We do not become godlike, we do not become gods in our own right, as some religions would, would have you to believe. Rather, sharing in this nature gives us something. It gives us the ability to become Christ-like. Ultimately, our very identity and everything that we are and everything that we do should be lining up with who Christ is. It's something that should be very humbling for us. Empowering, yes, but very humbling. So let me back up just a little bit. When Peter says that we may become partakers of the divine nature, It's very interesting because Peter doesn't say we have become partakers of the divine nature. And he doesn't say we will become partakers of this divine nature. Why does he say we may become partakers? Well, mainly because entering into this divine nature, entering into this sort of walking with the Spirit of God is a choice. It's something that we have to be purposeful in doing. Don't be afraid. I know some of you have have looked at this and thought about this and said, wow, I'm not sure if I want to go there. The Bible exhorts us over and over and over again. Don't be afraid. God is good. What he has for us is good. The problem is that we can be Christians born again of this very spirit of God and have this nature in us and we can walk through life never really participating in or partaking in this divine nature that God has for us. But, if we embrace this divine nature and partake in its goodness, then we have the power to escape the corruption it is in the world that is caused by sinful, sinful or evil desires. And we need God's power for this. Okay, picture the space shuttle, right? I know the program's over, but picture the space shuttle. Putting the space shuttle into orbit takes a tremendous amount of effort. 
It takes a team to design and build the space shuttle, to build the rockets, to coordinate the whole effort. You know, you know everything that's involved there. But mostly, the one thing that it takes a lot to get that space shuttle into orbit, it takes a lot of power. Now, I'm an energy geek. I happen to be in the electricity world, so bear with me here. But I was pretty excited to learn it takes 12 gigawatts of power to launch the space shuttle. Blank, nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of power. In fact, it, it's equal to the amount of power that the whole state of Massachusetts would use on the hottest day of summer. Every factory, every hospital, every home, every building. If you took all of that, put it together, that's how much power you need to launch the space shuttle. It takes an incredible amount of power to break the grip of gravity and to send that shuttle free into space. So now what I want you to do is picture sin as the power of gravity. We are trying to stand up to sin in our own strength, and it keeps pulling us down. We want to punch up, we want to punch out and get free from this sin, but we can't. But God's power makes the power of those rocket boosters, that makes the power that puts the space shuttle into orbit, God's power makes that look like nothing. And with that power, even though sin never stops pulling us down, as we get closer to God, and God's power comes through us, sin's pull becomes nothing. Just like when the space shuttle eventually breaks the Earth's gravitational force, it floats into space. Is gravity still there? Yes, but the space shuttle doesn't feel it anymore. So it can be with us. This is a powerful picture. If you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with pain, depression, broken relationships, loneliness, God's power is bigger than all of that. And just like it takes a huge team to launch the space shuttle out into orbit, it takes a huge team to tackle all of these issues. Not that God can't do it alone, but this team that we're talking about is called the body of Christ. And our purpose as the body is to love one another. And if we would just love one another as Christ loves his church, we would see no end of the manifestation of God's power. Everything in the kingdom of God leads to love, and without love we would have nothing, as you know from 1 Corinthians 13. So Peter is exhorting us to a new normal, to walk in the divine nature. What is your definition of normal? Imagine you just write down that definition of normal on a piece of paper. All right? Imagine you're doing that. Now I want you to take that piece of paper, crunch it up in a little ball, and throw it over your shoulder. But it doesn't mean anything anymore. I want you to rewrite today your definition of normal. God is inviting us to participate with him in big things. John 14, 12, I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but Jesus himself said that everything that I do, everything you see me do, you're going to do these things, and even greater things are you going to do than those. That's amazing. Mark 16 says that amazing signs will follow those that believe. It's not complicated. It's really not complicated. Desire to know God through his word and through prayer and love with your whole heart. If we can do these things, we will see captives set free, the sick will be healed, broken hearts will be restored, and so much more. And we are seeing those things. 
because we are praying, we are loving one another, but we have so much more. All of this is good. So if we're going to see more captives set free and the sick being healed, the question is, who are we going to see doing it? Who's going to do all this stuff? If we look at the language of Peter in verse 3, you are the one who has been given great and precious promises, and you are the one who may walk in the divine nature. Pretty awesome to think about. So how do we practically apply this principle of walking in the divine nature? First, number one, study the scriptures. I'm going to give you four points. Number one, study the scriptures and study the promises in the scriptures. Here's some awesome promises. We are to bear fruit. John 15, verse 5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Romans 8.37 says that we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. And all these things that we look in our lives, we are more than conquerors. Another promise is that we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ from glory to ever-increasing glory. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's an amazing promise that we can become like him in glory. And Romans 8.14 is one of my guiding verses. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. These are amazing promises. So first, study the scriptures and study the promises in Scripture. Number two, watch and pray. Does that sound familiar? That comes from Ephesians chapter 6, where we learn about the armor of God. And after uh, Paul tells about uh, the armor of God, he exhorts us to watch and pray, or to be alert and pray. What this means is to look with your eyes and to listen with your ears like you're a soldier on lookout, or even better, a soldier on patrol. You're watching, you're looking, you're listening, right? That's the kind of thing that um, we mean here. Watch as you go through your daily walk. Watch and let God show you people who are in need and then pray for them. Listen to those around you. You don't have to just listen to God's voice, but listen to what people are saying around you. They have complaints, they have hurts, and pray with them. Listen to God and follow his directions. As often as not, God's direction will be to pray for someone or to pray with them. I'll give you an example of how God can guide and direct in prayer. Uh, Some weeks ago, um, after one of our Wednesday evening prayer sessions, uh, someone came up to me and said, hey, I've, I've been struggling with this physical ailment and I'd like you to pray for me. So we went off into a, a, a quiet room away from the others and I said, hey, you know, tell me about what's going on. And so the person just kind of explained the, the difficulty they've been having. And as the person explained the sort of physical thing that they were dealing with, it became very apparent that this person was bitter at God for not healing them already. <laughs> and that this bitterness and anger toward God had put up a wall 
between them and God so that the relationship this person had with God was actually in a pretty poor state. And the Spirit of God just kind of spoke to me and said, forget about healing. You need to deal with this. This wall needs to go. So we talked about that, and we prayed about it. And then God's Spirit just kind of, you know, I could see this wall too, and and God's Spirit just said, tell this person to do this, to take a deep breath and to blow on the wall. (laughs) Really? That's pretty silly, but okay. So I told the person, look, you see the wall? And she said, yep. Take a deep breath. She said, okay. Now blow on the wall. And as that happened, the wall crumbled to dust, not pieces, to dust. And through that, just redemption came, forgiveness, restoration of that relationship with God. And you know, maybe the healing didn't come. We prayed for that. But the restoration of that relationship with God was so much more important. And what I'm trying to get at is that God's spirit guided and directed in that. And God could have done that without me, but he didn't. And we can do that. You can be the one who prays for someone's healing. You can be the one who brings an encouraging word from the Lord. And you are the one who can come alongside a friend. I can't come alongside your friend, but you can. And you can show them the truth. And you can show them Jesus who will set them free. And you will see these things because you will be doing these things and you will be bearing much fruit. That's my encouragement to you. So first, study the scriptures. Second, watch and pray. Thirdly, be purposeful. Be purposeful. I think one of the reasons that this 2013 was a good year for me that I was very purposeful. I didn't just let things come. I chased things. I went after things. So seek out the things of God. Seek to understand the gifts of the Spirit and to practice them. Practice them with others that you know and trust. Pray for healing. Pray for wisdom. Pray for miracles. Pray for these things. Uh, A little while ago, uh, I did share uh, here publicly, I'll just remind you, I'll give you the short version of the story that happened um, during the 40 days of prayer. In fact, it was the last night, Saturday night, and uh, my wife and I were leading the the Saturday night sessions, which go from 6.30 to midnight. And uh, we took a break, and we came back at about uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock to continue praying for the night. And I said, hey, guys, I'm really sorry. I just have this burden to leave I know I'm supposed to be leading you, but I have this burden to leave and to go to Woburn Center. I don't know why, but just, I just feel this burden to do that. And I looked at Brendan Cooney, and I said, Brendan, you're coming with me, because he, t- he says, don't go alone. And so off we went, we got in my car, and Brendan says, so what's up? What are we doing? And I said, I don't know. We are to await further instructions, I guess. So we got in the car, and I just felt led to park behind the, the big white church in Woburn Center, and we prayed by the, the sign in front of the church, over and over and again, and we walked around Woburn Center, and I'm like, Lord, you know, what, what do you want us to do? I don't know. And then finally, we came back to Montvale Ave, and we came on the corner there, and the Lord said, that's where I want you to be. I'm like, all right. And the words hadn't even come out of my mouth to Brendan to say, look, I think we need to stop here and see what's going to happen. When across the street from the very place in front of that church where we were praying at length, three guys were standing there, and they yelled across to us for help. 
And they ran across the street, and they grabbed Brenda, and they said, can you help us? Can you help us? I'm like, what's up? And they said, well, we're stranded here in Woburn, and we have no way to get home, and someone's supposed to pick us up, and there's no public transportation. And, uh, we said, hey, don't worry. We'll give you a ride. Where are you going? Oh, we're going all the way to Medford. No problem. We'll take you there. And so as we got in my van, they couldn't believe, like, who are these guys who would stop and help us? And so, you know, as I'm driving, Brendan's, you know, giving them the gospel and telling them about God, <laughs> giving them Genesis squeezy balls and pens, and it was awesome. And, you know, when those guys got out of the van, the one guy looked at us and said, you know, nobody's ever been this nice to me in my whole life. Nobody. It wasn't that big of a deal. But for him it was, and God made the appointment. These are the things that can kind of happen, that can happen if we would just step out and listen to what God has for us. As for me, I want to be purposeful in all these things. I want normal to be a trail of testimonies and stories about the amazing things that God is doing. I've been realizing this year that I've got one life on this earth, and I want to live this life where amazing is normal, where outrageous love is a part of everyday life. Why should I accept anything less? That's where I have been coming to. And the reason that I love redemption groups, um, one of the leaders in redemption groups, and why I love leading the groups, we have 10 leaders, and all of these leaders understand that the problems that are faced by the people that come, and they're the same problems that you have, they're no different, but they're big. We're not professional counselors. We don't know how to deal with these big weighty problems that people come to redemption groups with. All we can do is pray and pray some more and ask that the Lord would give us wisdom and the eyes to see into the hearts of the participants because that's what Jesus did. When he walked around, he could see into the very hearts of the people and he knew what they needed. And so this is what we pray for. And guess what? Jesus always shows up. He always shows up. He's faithful. It's so amazing to be there and to see this over and over again. We get to witness over and over again the miracles of hearts being restored in so many different ways. And again, it's not in our power that these things happen. It's rather our ability to yield and respond to the power of the Holy Spirit. We just love the people in our groups and we just point them to Jesus. Oftentimes, the rest is just watching. It's not about us. It's about what we can do. So study the scriptures, number one. Watch and pray, number two. Be purposeful, number three. And number four, as we exhorted you last week, be generous in all that you do. For this is the essence of love. You cannot outgive God. Go ahead and try. In anything that you have, money, time, talent, anything, try to outgive God. You can't. If you love, if you do love, it's because he's loving you first and then you're just, and he's pouring into you, and you're just pouring out that which he gives to you. So I urge you to receive. God's up there with this just huge ocean of grace that he's ready to throw down upon you. And just, I just urge you to receive it and grab it and let it flow out of you. My son Peter uh, yesterday shared this Oswald Chambers quote with me yesterday, which is very powerful. It says, do you believe in a miracle-working God, and will you go out 
in complete surrender to him until you are not surprised one iota by anything he does. That's a definition of a new normal. That is amazing. And as we think about partaking in this divine nature, I have a caution for you. There's a guy out there named Satan. And Satan wants to rob. Satan wants to rob you of the ability to walk in this divine nature. Don't be afraid, I encourage you. Don't be afraid. Dive right in. We are to love one another and to love the lost in the same way that God loves us. We can only do this because he has given us a portion of his divine nature. And we can share in this power, in his power, for this amazing work of the kingdom that he wants us to participate in. And he wants us to participate in this together. We need to be generous in everything that we have, but mostly with our hearts. If we can do this together, if we can be generous together and love together, we will soar like on wings of eagles, I love that verse, to new heights in our own walks personally and together here on our journey at Genesis. So thanks for listening to that. I hope that communicates my heart for what I want for you. I mean, I am striving to get into that place and I want you with me. I want you there. Let's see God do great things in 2014.